Worship in the World is a screen-free worship experience brought to you by Downtown Church. Downtown Church is a community of unfinished people based in Columbia, South Carolina. We believe in asking honest questions while we strive to follow Christ within our own communities, loving people wherever they find themselves on their faith journey. Thank you for being with us today. Yeah. 
Welcome to worship at Downtown Church. It is so good to see you all here today. I'd like to open us with a poem from the great mystic poet Hafiz. So let us use this poem as a prayer to begin our worship today. I sometimes forget that I was created for joy. My mind is too busy, my heart is too heavy for me to remember that I have been called to dance. Dance the sacred dance of life. I was created to smile, to love, to be lifted up, and to lift others up. O sacred one, untangle my feet from all that ensnares. Free my soul that we might dance, and that our dancing might be contagious. Let us rise and worship God together. Yeah. 
tune my heart to sing thy grace streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me Amen. Please be seated. Friends, as that hymn says, we are prone to wander. We are prone to leave the God that we love. Simply put, we mess up. We hurt one another and we let each other down. But God gives us grace. God gives us forgiveness. All that God asks is that we be honest with when we mess up. Let us now say together the prayer of admission, being honest with God and with one another for our sins. Let us pray. God, we give thanks for your grace and forgiveness. But forgive us, God, for how we rely on your goodness. We fail to take your law and your teachings seriously. We love to love our neighbors only when we get to pick the neighborhood. We care for the world only when it is convenient to us. Free us of our selfishness. Help us to see that we are all one, dependent on the kindness of friends and strangers. Friends, hear the good news. We are forgiven. 
Jesus, as he stood upon the cross, as he hung upon the cross, cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Friends, we still don't know what we're doing, and we are still forgiven. Let us live in peace with God and with one another, and all the church said amen. Amen. Got a few announcements before we get into our scripture. Um, First, um, now is the time to sign up for a home group if you're interested in getting to know some more members of this community on a deeper level. Home group registration is live until the 17th of January. Um, Sign up online on the website, and if you have any questions, please come up and talk to me. Um, Home groups are an awesome way to make a smaller community within this larger one of downtown church. Uh, Number two, uh, there are these blue bins that have the recycling logo on them. Uh, Those are for your programs, not your coffee cups. Programs, not your coffee cups. Uh, Just uh, please put those in there. Um, Our scripture today uh, comes from Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Uh, We're continuing right where we left off last week uh, in our series uh, going through Romans and tackling the myths of the Bible. So we hear now God's word for us, beginning with Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things that God has made. So they are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal human being or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. The word of God to us, the people of God, thanks be to God. Title of today's sermon is Orcas Downstream. In 1855, Isaac Stevens was the governor of the territory of Washington, and he convened a group of Native American chiefs, and they were representing a diverse group of tribes in the lower Elwha region in what is now Olympic National Park. They met to sign what would become known as the Point No Point Treaty. And in this treaty, the people of the Lower Elwha traded a vast amount of land and resources to the United States. What they got in exchange was sovereignty as a recognized nation and the right to hunt, fish, and live off the land which they had occupied for centuries. In hindsight, many historians would agree that Stevens and the U.S. government were manipulative, deceiving, and used threats of violence and force to convince these tribes to divest from their ancestral lands. A few hundred years later, I found myself in the Salish Sea, not too many miles from the place of this treaty. I was aboard a small whale-watching boat full of tourists, and the dozen ninth graders that I was leading on a three-week trip through the Pacific Northwest. I could hear the hum of the diesel engine mixed with the chatter of the crowd and the low, steady buzz of the horns of some of the largest ships in the world in the distance. 
But all the noises fell silent. When the naturalist got on the radio and called our attention to two o'clock, about 200 yards out, she said, there is a pod of southern resident orca whales. The captain turned off the engine and it was silent. You could hear, Even two football fields away, you could hear the breath exploding out of their blowholes. The naturalist pointed out one of the whales who was a little bit off from the pod. She said, see that bull orca over there? The one with the largest fin? I know it doesn't look like it from here, but that fin is just over six foot tall. I I spread my legs and looked down, imagining my own body as a fin atop a 35-foot, six-ton orca, and I got goosebumps. The size, as well as the athleticism and mobility I witnessed, it was astonishing. It was no wonder that the First Nations people of this region revered the orca whale, calling them blackfish, and knew that they were a spiritual being not to be meddled with. Unfortunately, these orcas have been meddled with meddled with in a way that they are close to extinction, meddled with by broken treaties, by inefficient dams, by short-sightedness, and by us. Only 74 southern resident orcas exist. Like all beings, they exist in a complex web of dependency. And where this particular web is breaking is with their food supply, Chinook salmon. Thomas Aldwell is a Canadian entrepreneur, and he saw the Elwha River as an opportunity. In 1910, he financed the operation to construct the over 100-foot-tall Elwha Dam. The dam was constructed illegally. Aldwell intentionally left out an expensive passageway that would let fish go upriver through the dam. Besides being illegal, this dam in particular was really inefficient and outdated. By the mid-20th century, its energy output was only enough to power less than 20% of a single sawmill. The Elwha Dam is just one of thousands of older dams whose power output was insignificant to the grid, yet its environmental impact was incredibly significant to all of us, especially to salmon. Adult Chinook salmon have a long journey to fulfill their life cycle. From the Salish Sea, for thousands of years, they have ventured up miles and miles. They are mountain climbers, although they possess no feet. Only determination and the instinct to return to their birthplace, where they would give birth and die. Returning their nutrients to the land and giving life to the next generation. The salmon runs that once numbered close to a half a million adults dwindled to 4,000. The few remaining remnants returned to a habitat cut off, bumping their heads against a concrete wall. The lower Elwha Dam was an unpassable barrier, stopping salmon in their tracks on their journey inland. Now I know what you're thinking. Orcas, treaties, dams, and salmon, what are you talking about, Lucas? They're separate stories, yet they're connected in an intricate and divine structure. 
And before you write this off as environmental hippie talk, let's return to scripture. Paul writes this to the church in Rome. Ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things that God has made. The nature of God can be seen in the things that God has made. The nature of God can be seen in the nature of the world. And we fit into that nature. We play a part and we have a responsibility associated with it. In one of my favorite books of the Bible, Job, Job declares this. He says, ask the earth and it will teach you. And the fish of the sea, they will declare to you. And the earth is a teacher, y'all. Teaching us that what we do and what we refuse to do matters. It matters to us and it affects us, but it also affects everyone in community. Our actions matter to communities near and far. And Paul is writing to a far-off community. But I really believe that his words can apply to all communities. And what it seems that Paul cares most about is how people in Rome are treating one another. He's calling out our tendency to be wicked. Paul wants these churches to thrive just as Christ wants all of us to thrive and just as God wants God's creation to thrive. And creation thrives depending on what we do. That's the myth that we are tackling today. The myth that God doesn't care about what we do. You know, because God forgives us, God gives us grace. It doesn't really matter what we do. We're just trying to get to heaven. But from my perspective, the greatest argument for God having a deep desire for us to do good and care for one another is that God's creation and all of our well-being is dependent on how we engage with and respect one another. Simply put, God created a world that cares about what we do. It's safe to say Paul didn't know anything about salmon or orcas or broken treaties between the United States and indigenous tribes, but Paul knew that what we do matters. Grace is a gift, but to live a life of faith requires responsibility of care for all those who are affected by our actions. The orcas struggle because the salmon runs are failing. The salmon runs are failing because the dams that destroy their population, the dams destroy their population because they were constructed illegally without fish passageways, and the dams exist because of our inability to think long-term and our tendency to break treaties with oppressed populations. We live in a web of causality. There's no denying that. No one exists in a vacuum. But the beauty is that there are two sides to this coin. We can cause harm, but we can also do good. Think about that poem I opened worshiped with. We are created for joy, to smile, to love, and to lift others up. If you can do that this week, I think you're good. God's grace is so important. That's what Dawn talked about last week. Salvation matters. 
But salvation reminds us that our relationships can always be righted, no matter how broken. In 2011, the lower Elwha Dam was removed and creation is healing itself. Scientists are already reporting on the benefits. Chinook salmon are returning upstream in the thousands. And rainbow trout, once locked behind the concrete barrier upstream, are now going to the sea as steelhead. Elk are grazing where there once was stagnant dead water. Seeds, silt, and nutrients are rumbling down the river, feeding the land as they go. Logs tumble down, creating habitats for fish, for birds, and for otters. The delta where the river meets the ocean is thriving with new marine life. Removing the dam mattered too. Robin Wall Kimmerer is a botanist. She's a mother and she's a member of the Potwami Nation. And she authored this beautiful book called Braiding Sweetgrass, which a member of the church gave me. It's a book that explores personal stories with indigenous wisdom and the scientific knowledge that she has gleaned from a lifetime studying plants. In one of her chapters, she writes about her role as a mother, as a caretaker. And she reminisces on the labor of cleaning out a pond on her property. The pond was full of an unhealthy level of algae, algae from years of stagnation. And she wanted to clean it out so that her young daughters could swim and enjoy the once crystal clear waters of a spring-fed pond. As she was doing this, she came to the realization that her pond flows into another, her neighbors right down the hill. And then her neighbors flows into another, which flows into a river, which flows into the sea, which gets evaporated by the sun and rain back down upon all of our fields. She writes that we are all downstream of one another. We are all downstream. The water connects us, not only the gifts that we can glean from it, but the responsibility we have to care for it. We are all downstream. This past week, in an intense snowstorms coupled with accidents caused a shutdown on I-95 in Virginia for over 36 hours. Thousands of people, truckers, families, young children, animals, they were trapped in their icy cars without food and limited supplies of heat. I saw this story on the news that a young couple, they were hungry and didn't really know what to do but they noticed a a Schmidt baking company truck a few cars in front of them. So they called the company's headquarters. And within a few minutes, they got a call back and the driver was already out of his car unloading a literal truckload of bread. The couple spent the next few hours walking door to door, checking to see if anyone was hungry, passing bread out downstream. We aren't stuck in I-95 on a blizzard, in a blizzard. And knowing Columbia, I don't think there are any blizzards coming our way anytime soon. And we aren't breaking treaties with tribes and we aren't building dams in the Pacific Northwest. 
but what we do matters. Right here, it matters. In this beautiful, complicated, complex place that God has placed us. Right here, downstream. Thanks be to God. Amen.
pray with me? Loving God, we thank you for this world. We thank you for this community of downtown church. We thank you for the diversity of creation. God, empower us to be its caretakers, to be each other's caretakers when we are down, when we are broken, God. Give us strength to follow Jesus, for we know it is not easy. Give us strength to love. Give us strength to let our actions be guided by not just our own well-being, but the well-being of the most vulnerable. God, in this strange, strange time, we pray for the, all those who are dealing with sickness. We pray for all those who are exhausted, parents, frontline workers, teachers, all those working in the healthcare system, God. Comfort them and spur us to comfort them as well. God, we finish our prayer saying the words that your son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom power and the glory forever. Amen. We now come to the time in the service where we typically affirm our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. And we will affirm our faith, but we're doing it a little bit differently this month. The Presbyterian Church has many different creeds and confessions that we hold dear. And so each week we're going to be trying to weave in a different confession, recognizing that over the past 2,000 years we have changed but God's word endures forever. So today we're going to read the first two bullet points of the Confession of Belhar, which is a confession that was written in South Africa to protest the Christian church's stance that affirmed apartheid and segregation. I encourage you to read the rest of it later. It's a really beautiful um, affirmation of faith. So we'll start with we believe and read the first two bullet points together. So downtown church, what is it that we believe? We believe that God has entrusted the church with the message of reconciliation in and through Jesus Christ. That the church is called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That the church is called blessed because it is a peacemaker. That the church is witness both by word and by deed to the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. I now invite you to stand and sing the final hymn, Ring Them Bells.
whether we realize it or not, we are downstream from one another. Whatever differences, whatever differences we try to hide behind, we are all connected. So go out into the world and live as a connected people, connected through Christ who saves us. And as you go out in the world, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds until we meet again. Friends, go in peace. And all the church said amen. Amen. Go in peace. If you feel compelled to support the church financially, you can give a secure gift online at downtownchurch.me forward slash give.